Today we continue in our series, The Jesus I Need, Not the Jesus I Want. And today we look at someone to rule in righteousness. For the past six weeks we've been in this series uh, where we're preparing our hearts and our minds for Good Friday and Easter Sunday. Uh, And so what we've been doing is we've been looking at Scripture as to who Jesus is and what Scripture says you and I need. What kind of Savior do you and I need? What kind of Jesus do we need? And it's important for us to align our thoughts and our hearts with, the, with Scripture because too often we change Jesus into someone that we want him to be and not who he really is. And so that's the whole point of this series is to look at the Savior, the Jesus that I need. And today we look at that King Jesus riding into Jerusalem, King Jesus. Jesus. And what we're going to see is he's the king that we need. He was the king the people needed, but maybe not wanted. What we're going to see is that Jesus is unlike any king before him or after him. And it's all found on Palm Sunday when Jesus rides into Jerusalem. Today we're going to be in Matthew chapter 1. Before we go any further though, let me give you some context as to why this day and, and, uh, was so big and why the electricity was going through the city. The, the Jewish people were getting ready to celebrate a, a Jewish religious festival called the Passover, which required all the Jews to come back to Jerusalem for this festival. They had to be at the temple. And so Jerusalem, which was normally around 40,000 people population, exploded that week to over 250,000 people. And so you talk about a a buzz already through the city. The city is packed with people, packed with Jewish people, packed with celebrations and getting ready to celebrate this great Jewish festival known as Passover. The city not only contained a lot of Jews during this week, it also contained a lot of Romans. The Roman government ruled half the known world at that time, including Jerusalem. And one thing that was true about the Jewish people was they did not like the Romans. And so there were a lot of uprisings coming from the Jewish people. And so you pack 250,000 Jews into a city, and what are the Romans concerned about? There's going to be some kind of uprising. And so who also comes that weekend? You've got Roman officials. You've got an uptick in Roman soldiers so that there's security and presence in the area. And there's tension. Tension between the Romans and the Jewish people to go along with everything else that's going on. But then to top it off, there's tensions between the Jewish religious leaders and Jesus. Jesus had raised Lazarus from the dead. That's what we looked at last week. He raised Lazarus from the dead. And from that moment on, the Pharisees, the Jewish religious leaders, put wanted posters, so to speak, out for Jesus. If you see Jesus, they said, tell us, because he needs to be arrested. And so people were wondering, is Jesus even going to come to Jerusalem? Because the Pharisees did not like Jesus. Why? Well, the Pharisees used the Bible, but twisted Scripture 
to fit their own cause. And their cause was self-salvation. You can gain heaven, you can gain peace with God, just do this, 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 and this, and then you're going to be good with God. And that wasn't the message of the Bible at all. And Jesus knew it, because Jesus is God. And so Jesus came, and he constantly had conflict with the Jewish religious leaders, because Jesus kept saying, you're missing grace. You're missing grace, which is in the Bible, which is all about, which God is all about. And so Jesus continued to push against the Pharisees because they were leading people astray. And so there's all this tension. Tension with all these people. Tension with the Romans. Tension within the Jewish people because of the Pharisees and Jesus. And they have wanted uh, posters up basically saying, tell us when you see Jesus. Is he even going to come? Jesus was coming to the festival. And that's where we pick up in Matthew chapter 21. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethphage on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and at once you will find a donkey tied there with her colt by her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, say to, that the Lord needs them, and he will send them right away. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to daughter Zion, See, your king comes to you, gentle and riding on a donkey and on a colt, the foal of a donkey. The disciples went and did as Jesus had instructed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and placed their cloaks on them for Jesus to sit on. Let's stop right there. Jesus is approaching this village called Bethphage, which is right next to Bethany, about two and a half miles outside of Jerusalem. And as they're approaching, Jesus says to two of his disciples, go into the nearby village, and there you're going to find a donkey and a colt bring them to me, untie them, and bring them to me uh, so that I can sit on them. Imagine being those two disciples. Jesus, you want me to go into the village, which is probably filled with donkeys, and find this specific donkey that you're talking about with her cult, and bring them to you? You want me to untie someone else's property... And bring them to you. I'm going to need more details, Jesus. <laughs> what street is this thing on? Uh, who's the owner? Give me something more than just the Lord needs them. I don't think that's going to fly when the owner hears that. And yet, what do the disciples do? They go. Unquestioningly, they just go, and they find it exactly as Jesus said. How do they just go? It's because they've come to know that Jesus isn't going to send them on some wild goose chase. They've come to trust that their Savior Jesus is going to guide them and lead them. That when their Savior Jesus commands them to do something, they can trust that Jesus is going to follow through. They trusted him. And as I look at this section of Scripture, it makes me reflect as one of those disciples. Do I, when I hear my Savior's commands, trust and do and act? Do I trust that my Savior's not going to send me on some wild goose chase? Or do I ask all kinds of questions? Do I say things in my mind like, Jesus, I hear what you're saying, but if I do that, I'm going to look pretty foolish. Jesus, if I do that, 
it could take a lot of time and I don't really have it. Jesus, if I do that, it's gonna, it might cost me some money. Jesus, I don't see how this is going to work out. I don't see how we're going to find this thing. I don't see how I'm going to do, be able to do this. And yet the disciples didn't. They trusted their Savior. They trusted that when he sent them, that he wasn't sending them on some fool's errand, but that they would find it exactly how their Savior said it would happen, and it did. We don't hear in, in this section, but in the other Gospels, what we hear is that they come to the, the donkey, and they start untying it, and the owner asks, what are you guys doing with my donkey? <laughs> and they said, the Lord needs it. And the owner said, oh, by all means, take it. And they brought the donkey back to Jesus. And Jesus sits on it. Do you see what Jesus is doing here? He's orchestrating his own procession. His own kingly procession. He's orchestrating it and getting ready to ride into Jerusalem as king. On one hand, these two disciples or these disciples had to be rejoicing. For three years of Jesus' ministry, what had the disciples been doing to Jesus? They've been encouraging him. Tell people you're the Messiah. Be the king we know you are. When's the time, Jesus? And Jesus kept saying, now's not the time. Jesus would drive out demons and they'd say, we know who you are. You're the son of David. And Jesus would tell them to be quiet. For, for all of Jesus' ministry, he doesn't want anyone to know that he's king, that he's King Jesus, the Savior of the world, God. And all of a sudden, now amongst all this tension, Jesus is orchestrating his own procession. Jesus is saying, now is the time. I'm king. And so on the one hand, the disciples had to be rejoicing. On the other hand, they had to be saying, I don't know this is the right time, Jesus. <laughs> you know that the Pharisees are looking for you. You know that they have basically wanted posters out for you, and now's the time that you want to have this procession as king and ride into Jerusalem? And Jesus says, yes. Jesus was claiming his kingship at this moment. And he's riding into Jerusalem. Not only does Jesus orchestrate it and claim it, the people recognize what Jesus was doing. Here's what we're told. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road, while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. The crowds that went ahead of him and those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the Son of David! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord! Hosanna in the highest heaven! When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, Who is this? The crowds answered, This is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. The crowds recognized that this was a kingly procession. And what, what did they do? They took off their own cloaks. They went ahead of Jesus and put it on the ground. They cut palm branches and they set them out in front of Jesus and they joined the procession. They joined this kingly procession parade. People going in front, people going behind, and they start celebrating, and they start rejoicing and singing, Hosanna, save us, son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the, in the name of the Lord, Hosanna, save us in the highest heaven. 
And yet there's something very different about this procession, isn't there? It's humble. It's lowly. Jesus doesn't come riding into Jerusalem on a white horse with a chariot. He doesn't come with a crown on his head, a scepter in his hand. He doesn't come with guards. He doesn't come with armor and swords. He comes on a donkey with Galilean fishermen. This would be like uh, if the President of the United States drove up in a Saturn sedan with no whistles, no bells and whistles, the crank, the crank windows, no AC, uh, manual locks. And no offense to anyone who has a Saturn sedan, I, that was my first car and I love that thing. But what we expect is him to drive up in a black SUV with tinted windows being driven by somebody because that is what we expect from leaders in our world. Jesus doesn't. Jesus comes humbly and lowly. He's different than every other king. And at your first point this morning, Jesus is the humble king. He's a humble king that rides in lowly on a donkey. And yet the people recognized there was some kind of majesty about this procession. Despite it not looking powerful, despite it not looking majestic in glory, there was something majestic about it. And the people recognized it. And they were ready to crown him king. Jesus said, I'm ready to be crowned king. And the people said, we're ready to crown you king. But what happened? How come five days later, that same crowd who was cheering either abandoned Jesus or were shouting, crucify him? It's because on that day they were ready to crown Jesus king, but throughout the week, what did they realize? Jesus wasn't the king they wanted. What they wanted was a king to come in and kick the Romans out. This is great. 250,000 of us are here, Jesus. Now's the time. What they wanted was a king to reestablish the throne for Israel, to sit on King David's throne and rule forever, to come and be the bread king that they knew he could be because they saw the feeding of the 5,000, to come and heal and heal and bring joy and peace now in Jerusalem. And over the course of the week, it was clear that wasn't who Jesus was. And so on Sunday, they were ready to crown him, but then they turned on him. As we sit and we look at the humble king riding into Jerusalem, is it the king that you want? It's important for us to consider that. Is Jesus the king you want? I think a lot of times we're tempted to want a king Jesus who makes our life happy, healthy, wealthy, establish us in this world, give me success, make my life easy, King Jesus, because I know you sit on the throne of the world, I know that you're king and you have all power, make my life good, make my life happy, 
And yet that's not who King Jesus is. King Jesus didn't come to establish a political kingdom. He's got no interest in ruling politically in this world. He came as a king that we needed. A king who comes lowly, riding on a donkey. Humbly, riding on a donkey. This is the king he is. He comes humbly. And Jesus is the serving king. Jesus is different than any other king in the fact that he's humble and he's a king who actually serves his people. He's a king who isn't here to work for his own advantage. He's not here to gain more power and more authority. He's not here to extend his uh, rule in this earth physically. He came to serve his people. Even if that meant that serving his people put his needs last. You see, the people shouted, save us. Hosanna. Save us. King Jesus. And Jesus said, here I come. Humbly and ready to serve. Ready to come and save you. And yet the saving wasn't done by riding up and shedding the blood of his enemies. The saving was done through riding up and shedding his own blood. The saving didn't come by ascending a throne, a wooden chair decorated for a king, but the saving came riding up and ascended the the throne of a cross. The saving was done by riding into Jerusalem and being crowned, not with a king's crown made of gold with all kinds of jewels on it, but crowned with all kinds of thorns on it that was reserved for a criminal. You see, your Savior Jesus, your King Jesus, is unlike any other king. He rides into Jerusalem humbly and ready to serve you and me. He came ready to save us. Not by defeating his enemies and shedding their blood, but coming to die and rise again to defeat our greatest enemy, sin, death, and the devil. Your King Jesus came riding lowly and serving to save you for eternity. And Jesus is different because you know what Jesus could have done? He could have had victory after victory after victory after victory. He could have wiped out the Romans. He could have established his kingdom. He could have provided for you and ruled for you in this world. But that would get you maybe 80 to 90 years of happy, healthy, and wealthy. And then we'd die. And then we'd have eternal separation from God. Instead, our Savior said, I'm coming to humbly serve you. And in doing so, he saved you from your sin. He saved you from separation from God. He saved you from death so that you can live forever in his eternal kingdom, happy, healthy, wealthy, and blessed. It will be an eternal bliss for you and me because of our King Jesus, who came to humbly serve 
and to save you and me. This is how our King Jesus was different. This is how he is different. He serves you and me. And even now on his throne in heaven, he continues to serve you and me as he rules in righteousness and works all things out for our eternal good. The only question we have to ask ourselves and answer this morning is your last point. Will I crown him king? Will I crown Jesus king? Even when he's not always the king that I sometimes want. What does it mean to crown Jesus king in your life? What does it look like to crown Jesus king? First of all, if I crown Jesus king in my life, I submit my intelligence to my king. And that seems easy, doesn't it, until we start realizing what that means. It means that I have to accept the fact that the Bible says that I'm a sinner. That apart from Jesus, I'm godless, hopeless, powerless to win my salvation, to earn my salvation. It means that I have to accept what the Bible says, that on my own, apart from Jesus, I'm actually the enemy of God. Our sinful minds are hostile to God, the Bible says. And that's hard to accept. It's hard to hear. It's hard to accept. And it's hard to hear that apart from King Jesus, who humbly served me and died on the cross, apart from him, I'm lost. But through him, I have life everlasting. If I crown King Jesus, I have to submit my intelligence to him. If I crown King Jesus, what do I have to do? I have to submit my wants and desires to Jesus. I have to say, Jesus, here's what I want, but I'm more interested in what you want. I'm interested in your desires. I'm here to carry out your wants and desires for my life because you're my king. King Jesus, as a citizen of your heavenly kingdom, I'm going to live my life in a way that represents those who are of your kingdom. King Jesus, you have say over my hobbies, maybe over my work, over the way I spend time with my family. You have say over everything that I do, and I humbly submit to you, my King, King Jesus. Why would we ever want to do that as Americans who are all about our freedom and our individuality and not submitting to anybody. It's because you have a king like any other king. You have a king that isn't like any other king. You have a king who rules in righteousness, who rules in perfection, who rules for your eternal good. And we see that on Palm Sunday. We see that we have a king who rules in love and compassion, who has your best interest at heart, even if it meant his life. And that's exactly what happened on Palm Sunday. Jesus rode in as the king who loves you, as the king who has compassion and mercy and eternal love for you as he rides into Jerusalem, humbly, ready to serve you, ready to die. It's like the hymn writer says, 
ride on, ride on in majesty, in lowly pomp, ride on to die. And that's what your Savior did for you. It's your Savior's love. It's your King Jesus' love and compassion. It's his willingness to humble himself and serve you that now motivates us to want to serve our Savior, to serve our King, to willingly submit to him, to honor him, to glorify him in our thoughts, words, and actions. It is Jesus and his love that motivates our love and motivates us to crown him with many crowns. Your King Jesus rules for you. Your King Jesus loves you. He comes humbly, ready to serve. He is your King. May he be forever praised in our lives. Let's pray. King Jesus, you sit on your throne right now in heavenly glory with the angels around you and with those uh, Christians who have uh, already transitioned into eternal life, standing before your throne, praising you, glorifying you in everything uh, you do. We thank you that you rule all things for our eternal good. We thank you that even though uh, you've had the throne of heaven from the beginning, you humbled yourself and you gave it all up to come and serve us. You came lowly, riding on a donkey. You humbled yourself even to death, even death on the cross. Also that we would be saved from our sin, saved from death, and be in, in your kingdom forever. We thank you that we have a king who rules in righteousness, who is not corrupt, but is only righteous and perfect in everything that you do. We thank you that you rule in love, in grace, in mercy, and that you have our best interests at heart all the time. We ask you to help us to trust you. We ask you to help us to humble ourselves and submit to you, knowing and trusting your love and your grace. We ask all this in your name. Amen.